to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Good morning, church, and what a wonderful time of worship that we have had already this morning. And I'm so grateful for our team leading us in worship in this season. I love that song, Better Word, that your blood speaks a better word. Where there was death, now through the blood of Jesus, there's life. Where there was defeat, now there's victory. All of the blessing and promise of God is available to us through the blood of Jesus. And so I hope you are sensing faith in your heart today uh, as we are worshiping the Lord and prepare to go to the Word this morning. And before we do, I just want to say welcome to every single one of you this this morning. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are our guests. Maybe you're joining us online for the first time. Uh, Maybe a friend shared a link with you. Uh, Maybe you just stumbled upon us online. We are so, so glad that you are with us. And uh, we want to invite you just to uh, be a part of our community. This uh, church is not a streaming service. We are a community of Jesus followers. And uh, whether you're in the Orlando area or beyond, this is a great time to connect. And also, I want to welcome all of our uh, church family gathered uh, in your homes, maybe with your family, with your roommate, uh, maybe gathered in a house church this morning. And uh, I'm so grateful for all that God's doing in this moment. And I want to remind you, church isn't canceled in this season uh, because church is a community. And although we look forward to being able to uh, gather in the ways that we would like to gather without restrictions, and and we'll be sharing with you some upcoming plans of that, I just want to remind you and encourage you uh, that we want to take advantage of every opportunity we can to be together in whatever way we can. So I want to encourage you, uh, check out a house church, gather with a few other people. Don't do church alone in this season. Well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me today and turn to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter one. Uh, We are continuing a series that we've been in for several weeks that we are calling The Movement. The Movement. And we are looking at the original Jesus movement, really the history of the church. For those of us who are Jesus followers, this is kind of our family history. And we are looking back at that really asking the question, what is the church? And uh, if there's ever been a moment that I believe we need to uh, ask that question, we need to define what the church is, I believe it's this moment. You know, I, I know for most of us, if you feel anything like I do, there's, there's never been a harder time for the church. And I know some of us, even in this season, we're kind of feeling the pain of separation. We're feeling the the pain of we're in homeschool, home office, church at home. Uh, Maybe you're feeling like, man, I just want to get out of my house. I want to gather. And uh, I feel the same way. I I long to be together with you. And uh, again, we're going to be sharing some plans of things that we do have coming up. Uh, but but I, I really believe that even in this moment, the good news that we're going to see from Acts is that in spite of the crazy moment we find ourselves in, the fact is that oftentimes when the world is at its worst, the church is at her best. When the world is at their worst, the church is at our best. And so I believe even in this moment, we have the opportunity to be the church. And so I want to invite you to turn with me back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. 
And uh, we're going to pick back up. Last week, we finished with Jesus ascending to heaven. He's promised the Holy Spirit to come. And there's a little period of waiting that we're going to look at today. We're just kind of taking our time through this uh, opening chapters of the book of Acts. And so I want to pick up today in Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 12 to 14. And it says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not the other Judas, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I want to speak to you today uh, a message that I'm calling Building a Movement. Building a Movement. And and I don't know about you, but uh, there's something inspiring to me about a vision to build. Uh, about the idea of building something, of being a builder. In in fact, the word build means to construct, to establish, to increase or strengthen. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I've often thought it would be easy to be a building inspector. It's easy to look at what somebody else does and criticize it or find faults in it, but it's a lot harder to be a builder. And I hope my life is not a life that just criticizes what somebody else does, but that my life is something that builds something, that constructs something, that that, uh, creates something for the benefit of others. I want to be a builder. And in fact, there's a podcast that I uh, love to listen to that's called How I Built This, How I Built This. And uh, it's a story of entrepreneurs and innovators, the opening line says uh, by Guy Raz, and the movements they started. And it talks about all of these creative entrepreneurs, people that started businesses, started organizations. And it's such an inspirational thing to hear the stories of how they got to where they're at. Stories like Ben and Jerry's ice cream, the patron saints of ice cream, Ben and Jerry's. And it tells the backstory on this podcast Uh, of how Ben and Jerry's, this now global ice cream empire, started uh, with a $5 correspondence course on how to make ice cream. They didn't even know how to make ice cream. They just subscribed to this $5 correspondence, not even online, but mail course, to learn how to make ice cream. And out of that now, uh, of course, there's been a story, but now there is the Ben and Jerry's ice cream company started with that $5 correspondence course. Uh, There's also stories like uh, Airbnb. Maybe you know the the backstory behind Airbnb, uh, a company that, uh, although like many companies is facing challenges right now, but really over the last decade, a company that totally transformed the hospitality industry. But it didn't start with some global hospitality empire. It actually started with a few guys that put air mattresses on their floor and rented them out and thought, what would happen if we got some other people to put air mattresses on their floor, thus Airbnb. They also tell the story, another I love, is the story behind Shake Shack, uh, the gourmet 
incredible hamburger place. Uh, I know some of you just the word or the phrase Shake Shack, you're wanting to get up from wherever you're at and go to Shake Shack right now. But the story is so inspiring because Shake Shack didn't start with a global uh, hamburger empire. Shake Shack actually started uh, with a hot dog cart in Madison Park in New York City. Uh, the, the guy that started Shake Shack didn't want to start a global uh, hamburger company he actually wanted to start a fine dining restaurant, but there was a need for someone to run this hot dog cart in Madison Park. And it wasn't long before people started gathering and he realized the potential of not just hot dogs, but hamburgers with crinkle cut fries. And now, of course, we know that story that uh, I love. There's a Shake Shack here in Winter Park. I've eaten in Shake Shack in Dubai. It's a global business, but it started with a little hot dog cart. And I love all of those stories of these builders because there's something about hearing the backstory that inspires us for the potential. I mean, you can't help but hear those stories and think, wow, I want to be a builder. I want to do something. There's something about hearing the backstory that fills you with vision for what could be and should be, but is not yet. And I believe the same is true when it comes to the story of the church. Uh, even as uh, today, there's so many challenges that we face, so many uncertainties around the church and what will things look like and when can we get back to normal. But I believe that, that there's never been a better time for us to recapture the backstory in order to uh, empower the future, in order to recapture the vision of what God has called us to. You see, sometimes in order to see where you're going, you've got to look at where you've come from. And here we find in the book of Acts, the, the backstory to the church. We, uh, although we don't ha have Guy Raz to host it, uh, but today is, is kind of the how I built this uh, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, the story behind how this global movement that has transformed the world with now 2 billion followers around the world, but how did it start? And I believe God wants to fill our hearts with vision for what he's taking us into by understanding where we've come from. And ultimately, there's nothing greater to build than the church of Jesus Christ, because it's the only thing that Jesus promised he would build. Other things are going to come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ advancing the kingdom of God is eternal. And even as we hear that and as we read this story, I hope there's an inspiration that fills your heart that says like Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament says, oh Lord, I've heard of the, the works of old. Renew them in our day. Renew your work in our time. Do it again. Build the church again in this season. And so we're going to look through this passage again. We're going to uh, let the Lord speak to us about how he built the church so that we can hopefully understand the backstory to clarify the vision of where he's taking us in the future. The first thing that I believe that we need to see out of this backstory of the church, if, if you would just imagine with me that we've gone back to the upper room, 
back to uh, that entrepreneurial uh, pre-launch moment of the church in its embryonic state. What are the characteristics of the church, even in this embryonic snapshot that we get uh, before the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 1, it's an embryonic snapshot. But even in this embryonic pre-launch Uh, phase of the church, there are some characteristics of the church that I believe we need to recognize that we will see continue to play out through the book of Acts and I believe are essential for us to recognize as followers of Jesus today. The first thing that I want you to see is this. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, these all continued with one accord. These all continued with one accord. Who are these that all continued. Uh, If you read the context as we just did, you'll understand that it's the the disciples of Jesus who become now the apostles, the 11 apostles. But it's not just the apostles. It's also, it says the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the first thing that I believe we need to understand is that the church is diverse. Even here in this little embryonic gathering of people that would ultimately give birth to the global Jesus movement, we see that the church is diverse. As I mentioned last week, among the 11 disciples, there's, there's political diversity. There's some that are supporters of Rome, and there's some that are, that are zealous opponents of Rome. There's political diversity. Not only is there political diversity, there's also uh, gender diversity, meaning there's men and women. The Bible points that out to us, that it wasn't just the 11 apostles, but there was also the women and Mary. Now notice with me that they're not praying to Mary, uh, as some would say. They don't pray to Mary, but they honor Mary. And, and specifically, Luke mentions that it's, there was women there. In fact, women played a key role throughout all of Jesus's ministry. The Bible says that the women were often supporting and funding the ministry of Jesus. The Gospel of John tells us that the first gospel preacher was a woman, Mary Magdalene, that encountered Jesus and went back to the disciples and said, He is risen. The first gospel sermon was preached not by one of the apostles, but by a woman. Why? Because the church is diverse. Not only is the church diverse in terms of uh, political diversity, not only is it diverse in terms of uh, men and women recognizing the distinction and the difference, but honoring the part that both play, but it's also diverse in terms of maturity. You see, the apostles had been with Jesus since the beginning. They had followed him since the beginning. They had had these amazing moments with Jesus. But then you also see Jesus' brothers were there too. The Bible tells us that Jesus' brothers didn't come to faith until after the resurrection. So we could say it this way. They really had only been uh, believers for a few weeks. In other words, they're new believers. And I believe that's so important that within the church, that we are not a circle of sameness, but we are a fellowship of difference. That we recognize that although we should have convictions about things, but that we recognize that uh, if everybody is just like us, if everybody looks like us, if everybody votes like us, if everybody's in the same place as we are in their journey with the Lord, that, that then If that is our church, that is not his church because his church is diverse. 
His church is filled with people that have different political ideas. And I, I want to encourage you. I'm not downplaying the importance of convictions, but, but if we develop the mentality that if somebody has a difference of opinion than we do, then they obviously can't be a true follower of Jesus. We have minimized God's definition of the church. We are missing out on the, the breadth and the bigness of what God is wanting to do through the church because our differences are not weaknesses. Our differences become a strength. We need men and women. We need young and old. We need new believers and mature believers within the church. Every single person plays a part in the body of Christ. The question I have for you today is, are you a circle of sameness or are you a fellowship of difference? Are we, are we inviting people in? Do we have the perspective of, you know, regardless of what somebody looks like, regardless of, uh, of what their opinions may be that perhaps are different than ours, do we recognize that the greatest chasm is not across the political aisle, but the greatest chasm is the chasm that Jesus Christ crossed, uh, bridged when he hung on the cross. It's not the chasm between the right and the left. It's the chasm between God and humanity. And if Jesus could bridge the chasm between a holy God and sinful man, who are we to build a divide between us and our brothers and sisters that have a different opinion, a different style of worship. We need to be a fellowship of difference. We need to celebrate the full expression of the body of Christ in all its diversity. The first thing that we can see about the church in this embryonic season is that the church is diverse. The second thing I want you to see is that the church is prayerful. The church is praying. The church of Jesus Christ is a praying church. Look at what it says when he sent them back to Jerusalem as they entered the upper room. The Bible says they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They were worshiping God. They were praying to God. They, they weren't raising capital. They weren't developing their 10-year, 20-year strategic plan. They weren't developing their marketing strategy. Nothing wrong with those things, but the church of Jesus Christ ultimately is not fueled by our plans. The church of Jesus Christ is fueled through prayer. And they did this because they knew that was the pattern of Jesus. They had watched Jesus pull away from the masses, go to the private place to pray, and they recognized that private prayer produces public power. Private prayer produces public power. If the church is called to do anything, we are called to pray. And some people would say, well, we shouldn't just pray, to which I would say, yes, absolutely. We've got to do more than pray. But to say, don't just pray, or to minimize prayer by saying you shouldn't just pray is like minimizing voting. It's like saying, don't just vote, to which I would say, yeah, don't just vote, but vote. And I want to say the same thing to us. Don't just pray. We need to love our neighbors, serve our neighbors. We need to share the gospel. We need to, we, we need to be generous. We need to serve others. But it all flows out of prayer because public prayer or private prayer produces public power. My question for us today is, are we giving our best efforts to prayer? Are we giving our best efforts to prayer? Is, is prayer our first priority or our last resort? 
do we view do, do we view prayer as kind of a nice additional add-on to church if you've got some extra time in your week or do we view prayer as the first calling and the top priority because for the followers of Jesus what launched the Jesus movement wasn't a planning meeting it was a prayer meeting and out of that everything else flowed so the church is a, a people of prayer the third thing that I want us to see is the Bible says as we continue to read in Acts chapter 1 Verse 15, it says, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, underline that word, the disciples all together, the number of names was about 120. It was about 120 disciples. Now, we often talk about the 120 in the upper room, but I want you to notice that the Bible doesn't just say there was 120 people, there was 120 attenders, it was 120 disciples. Disciples. And oftentimes we are content to just have the number of people, but we don't ask the question, are we disciples? You know, if you understand the historical context of what it meant to be a disciple, in our mind, sometimes we think a disciple is kind of a next level Christian. We're all Christians, but then there's some who are, you know, they're really Christian. They, they just kind of are really involved and they're really about discipleship. But actually, that couldn't be further from the picture that the Bible gives us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, the Bible never tells us to be Christians. It tells us to be disciples. The word Christian, we'll see it later, that came up as an accusatory word, but Jesus always used the word disciple. The New Testament authors used the word disciple, to be a disciple. And to be a disciple, to, if you understand the historical context, Jesus was a rabbi and he chose 12 disciples. Their goal was to be with their rabbi, to become like him and ultimately to do what he did. We've talked about that before, but it all flowed out of their withness to the rabbi. They're being with their, their rabbi. And, and that is true for us as disciples of Jesus. In fact, there was a blessing in the Hebrew culture that would be prayed. And it was this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you follow so closely behind your rabbi that the dust of his feet as it comes up off the road, it's covering you. In other words, there should be some, some residue from our rabbi that should be on us. Then I want you to understand that what will change the world is not Christian positions. And sometimes we think of being Christian as I'm, I'm kind of in this little Christian box, whatever that looks like. I, I, there's certain things I do and certain things I don't do, and I'm staying in the Christian box. People used to say, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do. And if you did that, that would make you a Christian because you didn't do those things and you stay in the little Christian box. I don't know if you remember from math class growing up, but there's actually two kinds of sets. There's a set that is called a bounded set that is all about staying in the boundaries. And if you're in the boundaries, you're a part of the set. And oftentimes we reduce uh, our spiritual life to just staying in the Christian box. If we do these things, we are a Christian, but it's not about being having a certain position. It's actually about being with a person. The other type of set is a centered set, and that's not measured by your inness or outness in the position. In your Christian activity, it's actually measured by your proximity to the center, which is Jesus. You see, Christianity isn't about 
having a Christian position or staying in a Christian box. Christianity is about following Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And what will impact the world is not our Christian activity or Christian position. It, it, what will impact the world is that we have been with Jesus. In fact, that was the, the reputation that went around about the disciples as they went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. They said that these men have been with Jesus. Let me ask you, is there some residue from our rabbi on you? Do you carry the dust of Jesus? Is there something about your life that reflects the nature of Jesus? Or, or do our neighbors just know that we're Christians because our cars aren't in our driveway on Sunday mornings? Or is there something about the way we talk, the way we carry ourselves? There was a story, a historical story of a, a rabbi who had a limp and his disciples wanted so much to be like him that they would walk behind him with a limp. They all took on his characteristics. L let me say it this way. We need to walk like Jesus. We need to talk like Jesus, not because we're just living in our own effort, but we've been with Jesus. I want you to see the church is not just about people in the Christian box. It's people who are disciples. In fact, Jesus was always correcting the religious people in their definition of who was in and who was out, who was God's people and who wasn't God's people, because it wasn't based on just getting in the religious box. It was based on following Jesus. And oftentimes it was the religious people that were the furthest away from him. In fact, we even see in this story that as God chose in his sovereign plan to birth the church on the day of Pentecost, we see something of God's vision for the church. You see, Pentecost was a Hebrew feast. We often think of Pentecost and think, well, that's just preachers who yell or something like that. But actually, it was a Hebrew feast. But it was, it was the only Hebrew feast that used bread that contained leaven. And leaven would cause the the bread to rise. It would puff it up. And it's really a picture of throughout the scripture, we see leaven as a picture of sin, which ultimately is all an expression of pride and pride puffs up. But God was birthing the church on the day of Pentecost because he was revealing even from the beginning that the church is filled with imperfections because we're not about just getting into the box. We're about following Jesus. And yes, we will change as we follow him, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. The question I have for you today is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? Are we just living in our little Christian box and we feel good because we're in and we look at others who are out? Are we disciples? Do, is there something about us that looks like Jesus? Because the church is made of disciples. The fourth thing I want you to see as we continue reading in Acts chapter 1, in verse 16, Peter stands up and says, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And he goes on to tell the story of Judas, who ultimately died having lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, followed Jesus, but turned away, which should be a warning for every one of us that we need to continue following Jesus. We need to continue chasing him. But he goes on to say this in 
verse 20, he says, quoting the Old Testament, he says, let another take his office. And, and they, Judas, as the, the apostles had been missing a spot, they, they had gone from 12 down to 11. Peter stands up and he says, we've got to fill the office. This is what was prophesied. We need to fill the office. And if you read the story, you know that they began to, to, to seek out who would be the person to take the spot. Who would be the person? And they came upon Matthias, who ultimately would fill the spot. And they, they, they uh, cast lots, which was an Old Testament way that the scripture talks about in the book of Proverbs, that, that uh, as the die is cast, the decision comes from the Lord. And so they were following this Old Testament pattern. But what were they doing? They were choosing leadership. They were choosing leadership. And the fourth thing I want you to see is that the church is an atmosphere of empowerment, an atmosphere of empowerment. They were, they were choosing, or maybe I should say it this way, they were appointing Matthias to be an apostle. This man who had up until this point not been numbered with the 12, but the Bible says this in verse 26, they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. He went from just being a guy to now being one of the apostles. He filled the office that had been left by Judas. He was empowered by the church. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ should be an atmosphere of empowerment. We should recognize the God-given calling uh, of leaders and the God-given given potential of people. You see, there was 120 people, but there was 12 apostles. There was leaders and, and there was the body. And that's not that the leaders, uh, the, the body was there to serve the leaders. The biblical model is that leadership is servant, uh, is servant leadership, even demonstrated by Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. In other words, the, the power and the authority that Jesus has is the name above every other name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That authority came through submission. And, and, and the same is true within the church. Of course, there is a, an extreme where there is a, uh, you know, a dominance and a heavy handed leadership within the church and a controlling mindset within the church. But that doesn't negate the fact that the church needs leaders. Sometimes we think, you know, if we just have two of us hanging out in the park, that's church. I go to the beach and that's church. Well, you can, ha you can be the church on the beach. You can be the church in the park. But the church isn't just a couple of people hanging out. One of the aspects of the church is that there's an atmosphere of empowerment. There's a recognition of God-given authority and the need for every one of us to submit ourselves under the authority of Jesus and to take our God-given position in his body. There is an order to the church. The Bible says that God has ordained first the apostles, just like building a house. You don't start with the roof. You start with the foundation. And that doesn't diminish the value of the roof. If you just have a foundation, you don't have a house. You need the roof. But it's when we take our God-given position 
that we receive our God-given authority and we step into our God-given power. The Pentecost power flowed as the 12 stepped into the office after they ordained or set in the God-called leadership, the power began to flow. And, and, And so today I wanna ask you the question, how do you view authority? Not just in the church, but in our nation, in our home. How do you view authority? Do you view authority as just something that's a hindrance to you fulfilling your potential? And if I could just get out from authority, if I could just do my own thing, then I'd really fulfill my purpose. Or do you view authority as the key to fulfilling the God call on your life? Jesus the name above every other name fulfilled his God-given potential, his, or maybe I should say, or God-ordained by the Father purpose. His purpose was fulfilled in submission to the Father. The same is true for every one of us. Church isn't just about people hanging out. Church is about fulfilling the mission of God, following the order of God, receiving the power of God so that we can fulfill the purpose of God. So as we close today, I want to ask you again, are we diverse? If we want to be the church that God's called us to be, are we a, are we a fellowship of difference or are we a circle of sameness? Do we just welcome people that look like us, talk like us, vote like us, or in the same economic bracket as us? Or, or do we recognize that if God has reached out to us as vastly different as we are from him, that we are to warmly welcome one another? Are we diverse as a church? Are we praying as a church? Not just do we believe in prayer, but are we praying? The Bible says if we're a hearer of the word, but not a doer of it, we deceive ourselves. We need to pray in this month. I want to challenge you. Pray like never before. We have, again, a morning, early morning prayer meeting every Thursday at 6 a.m. I know it's early, but world changers, get up early. I want to encourage you. Let's be people of prayer. Let's be people of discipleship. Let's be people who are not just attenders or, or, or fans, but let's be followers of Jesus. In this moment, I want to encourage you to continue the disciplines of discipleship, being with Jesus so that you can become like him, so that we can do what he does, so that the world around us would say about us, they have been with Jesus. And also, I want to encourage you to take your position under God-given authority, in God-given authority, so that we can release the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus will do in our time what he has done over the last 2,000 years, that he would build his church. My prayer is, and I hope your prayer is today, as Habakkuk said, I've heard of the works of old. I've heard of the deeds of old. God, renew them in our day. Do it again, God. So we read the backstory. We're filled with vision for what God has called us to in the future. I want to pray for you as we prepare to close. Father, I pray for every person hearing this message today. God, even as we are in this season where there is so many challenges, so many frustrations and difficulties, God, so many things that, Lord, uh, we could have never imagined, certainly wouldn't have wanted, but God, thank you that you are still working. And Lord, even like a company or a family or a startup goes through ups and downs. God, thank you that even in this moment, you have not left us, but you are working. 
And Father, I pray that you would be, or that we would be the kind of people that you would see and that you would in us, through us, build your movement, build your church, advance your kingdom. I pray, let your kingdom come in 2020. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And maybe even as you wrap up or after this message, you want to take some time to think about this. If you're in a house church, take some time to discuss it. Take some time to talk about the diversity. Take some time to talk about prayer and praying together to process this, not to just be a hearer of it, but to be a doer. Also, I want to remind you, we've got prayer on Thursday morning at 6 a.m. and we are launching Alpha online. And uh, for more information, go to tryalphaonline.com. And uh, I know that God's going to do great things. I want to encourage you, invite somebody to join you for Alpha. So thanks so much for joining us today. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week.